Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Catherine Weber, and I'm joined by Andy Germuga. Number one Chicago International Film Festival stand, Colin Ashley. Emilio Diaz. <laughs> if, he, if, 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 uh, if Cullen's audio was going in and out while he was saying his intro, it's because he was dabbing the whole way through. Come on. <laughs> that was just for us. All right. We've got a panoply of topics to discuss. So many topics in so little time. Mm-hmm. Topics, 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 topics. To start off, we've got some updates from the Berlin Film Festival where M. Night Shyamalan will be serving as the jury president for the 2022 edition of the festival in mid-February. A sick pick. Berlin's just around the corner. Yep. M. Night famously only had one movie play festival. Yep. Praying with anger at AFI. <laughs> and split um, at Fantastic Fest. Fantastic Fest, yeah. We, but we don't necessarily count that. No, yeah. I, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever. I mean, yeah. And who know, like, his taste is going to be interesting because he's, like, a very mainstreamy guy. Uh, who sees he is, them. but, like, he likes the classics and, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think he has, like, a... I think it's in his Twitter bio that, like, his Mount Rushmore of directors <laughs> really and it's, like, Kubrick, Hitchcock, uh, Kurosawa and uh, Satyajit Ray. Yeah, that's like how Xavier Delon's Instagram bio says Slytherin. It's <laughs> 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 like the perfect dissolution of both of these people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I yeah. think there's a lot of people who are like that. Yeah. Like, where it's just like, oh, they'll mention, if you ask them, oh, what are my favorite movies? Then they'll just say, like, The Godfather Part 2, 2001. But yeah. If you ask them, like, what they're watching recently, they're probably watching a lot of, like, weirder, more interesting stuff. I don't know. If yeah. That that's probably true. I mean, again, you've got the Tim Burton gave the uh, Palm Door to Uncle Boone, you can recall his past lives example. It's like generally. It often seems like a mainstream filmmaker will go like, ooh, I couldn't do that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's the Spielberg blue is the warmest color thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Which and, means and, that you know, the Palme uh, d'Or, I mean, the Golden Bear in 2022 will be going to Mektub, my love, Kento Due. <laughs> Yeah. Is it finally? Get it finally, yeah. it's ready. No, I mean it's been ready for a long time. It's just not allowed to be People released due to really? Wow, they played it at Cannes. It played Cannes. No, that was three. No, no, no. That's intermezzo. That was the intermezzo. Oh, yeah. there's a third one. Yeah, there's a third one. There's part that's part, part two. Count, there was part the one. There was part the intermezzo. And then there's part two. I think that's it, though, right? He's done with part part two is the end. That's it. I think he's done, period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I believe the fork has been stuck in it. Yeah. The movie's ready. The people aren't. (laughs) Um, But yeah. 
Yeah, I've also we need to do yeah some predictions. Uh, yeah. In light of this, I let's not call these predictions. Let's call them well, options. Uh, We've got yeah. here's some things What's that might be. Like? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of high-profile women directors who may have a new movie ready. Uh, Claire Denis, I've heard, is basically just like, she's it. It's happening. Uh, That'd be sick. Yeah, it will be great. That would be well because we were that was like rumored for like can right and like yeah and it sounded like she was kind of like taking her time on it a little bit which is fine I think she's in Colombia doing the new movie now I feel like there was like a Taron Edgerton stand post that was like Taron Edgerton's in Colombia forget he's in it that's crazy yeah did you start following Uh, the Taron Edgerton stands to get updates on the latest Claire Denis movie Jesse no (laughs) all right I'm not on Instagram. Um, well, I yeah, am, but I don't cool. use it. Uh, and then the other one that I've heard, which is kind of surprising, is that uh, Mia Henson Love, who, sh- it sounds like she kind of did the Bergman Island thing where she shot most of the movie back in, like, July. But there's, like, a week that she still has to do that she's going to do in, like, December. But it sounds like she's maybe trying to get that done quick in, like, a petite maman way. Uh, this would star... Cool. Leia Seydu and Melville Poupeau. Uh Speaking of Seydu, uh, the, I I had looked into. There's a new Bert. There was going to be a new Bertrand Benello movie that she was going to be in as well. I think with Gaspar Ullier. Uh But that it sounds like it was announced at the beginning of last year, and it sounds like they just like never got it together to shoot this year. Uh, but is expected to shoot sometime this spring. And I was kind of thinking, like, oh, Benella is someone who, like, seemed to have an in it can and then maybe got too weird for them. So, like, maybe Berlin would be a good place for him, but the movie's not shot, so... Oh, well. Uh, a couple of, uh, bi- uh, like, if there's going to be, like, a high-profile big American thing, uh, I would say the two big options are The Northman, the Robert Eggers movie, which is coming out in April. Right. and his last movie yeah, was directed right. Fortnite. Vikings. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. like, you would you see that think, Sundance yeah, also. it could be Sundance, could be South by Southwest. Is that just it's with not- A24, yeah. or is it? I think it's it focused. Oh, I think it might be Focus. Um, And then there's, like, rumors about, like, are they going to throw Blonde into competition? Netflix Uh, is so scared of Blonde. They're going to sneak it into the Berlin competition. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, they also might just, like, throw it out as, a a Sundance premiere. Yeah. Do major Netflix... Have any major Netflix movies premiered at Berlin? That's a good question. Or, like, even played Berlin? I would have to because they so. usually wait till later in the year to do their big. They'll ones. do some Sundance sometimes, like they like. Uh, last right. I mean, yeah, they did, like Sundance, but then I feel like they knew like that was like dead in the water. Like, yeah, maybe they but knew, like, like no they one would think care about at least that Blonde is dead in the water. So sure, but I feel like yeah, I mean, and like Dominic has a history with European festivals, so yeah, it's right. like is like Chatron maybe too snobby for him we don't know uh and then yeah like some other stuff uh chocobar is still floating around we don't know if lucretia martel's got that done i guess the other big 
American director, though not necessarily American film, is that like Malik could always pop up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He likes to wait for Can. He likes to wait. I yeah, mean, he likes Knight to take a long Knight time Cups, in post, too. Night right? of Cups like... did Berlin. Right. And then, of course, Song to Song did uh... South by. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Chocobar, I was saying, Lucretia Martel's documentary about Chocobar. Uh, Pietro Marcello, it sounds like, has a new movie that's in French. Uh, wow. That maybe is done oh. or like just ended shooting. Uh, I think I've talked about Helena Whitman as like a option for uh, like Locarno or Venice, but like, you know, Berlin's the new Locarno, so she could be an option for either competition or encounters. Uh, her movie's called Human Flowers of Flesh and has Denis Levant and Angelique Papulia. Uh, Lev Diaz has like five movies in various stages of post-production. <laughs> Hong Sang-soo could always have a movie. Yeah. The Girardi, uh, Girardi has been like done for a long time and it sounds like it's just going to come out in uh, early next year. So like if it's going to do a festival, which you'd think it would, unless it's just a pile of doo-doo, uh, yeah. it would be Berlin. I don't know. I guess he could do Rotterdam. Um, Angela Schanelek has a new movie. She's a classic Berlin favorite. Yeah. Carla Simone's last, uh, I think it was her first movie, Summer 1993, made kind of a big splash in one of the Berlin sidebars. Uh, and she has a new movie. She did a short that we talked about that she co-directed with Domingo Sotomayor, too. Uh, Serg Bozon was like a big Locarno favorite during the Chatron era, and he has a new movie. It sounds like Albert Sarah might have a new movie. Uh, Giorgio Diretti had a movie in Chatron's first year, uh, 2020, that won Best Actor, though it never really got any American distribution. And uh, Wang Shui is another. I think it was. I think he last did Berlin before Chatron was in charge, uh, but he has played there before and made like a lockdown movie. Uh, and that's what I've got for now. Maybe we'll have. Maybe I'll do actual predictions sometime early next year once there's more buzz. Do we want a quick Netflix Berlin clarification? Sure. Absolutely. Have you done the research, Emilio? I just Googled one article. But in 2019, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind played Berlin out of competition. And also, Lisa y Marcela played competition, which was apparently a movie directed by Isabel Quasset, produced by Netflix. Oh, yeah. And, and she uh, has a new movie, too, though. She was kind of like a favorite of the old Berlin regime that maybe the new one's too snobby for. And uh, there's also, I guess this article is like, I don't know, people were mad about it. People were weird about Netflix at Berlin. And I guess since right. then they haven't had any movies there. So uh, Okay, so there may be may in the can boat. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they might not officially be in the can boat, but I guess none of their movies have been chosen, or maybe Netflix 
just haven't brought their stuff there. I don't know. Yep. Well, Colin, you've seen some stuff at the Chicago International Film yeah, Festival. Yeah, Colin's been, uh, yes, been hitting up I Chicago. Did. He did. I live in the Midwest, so I was able to take advantage of Chicago International Film Festival, the 57th Chicago International wow, Film Festival. 57 wonderful years. Yeah, uh, they're virtual. And I've been in every one of them. <laughs> yeah, Andy uh, was there for the first one for his centennial. Um, the uh, they do they did uh, they had a pretty robust like virtual selection, and I was like I'll be able to fill some holes of stuff that I wanted to see, mm-hmm. and then also rewatch some stuff that I loved. Oh um, yeah, and uh, their international competition jury. I don't know all these people, but I feel like it'd be nice to give them due. We get Juan Manuel Dominguez, Barbara Klinger, uh, Sahara Makri. John Franco Rossi, sure. uh, Patricia Rosema, and that's the uh, yeah, that's the international jury. Patricia Rosema um, is a, a vaguely few... familiar name to me. Yeah, um, but I saw five movies. Uh-huh. Do you um, know what that jury awarded, or is the festival not? Uh, I don't over know. Yet? The festival is still going. Okay. Um, um, wow. So I think uh, there's a few. I, I feel like if you want to see the movies that I talk about. Uh, you can still get a virtual ticket. And they're like $15 for a virtual ticket, which isn't really bad at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to get a full pass. You can just go individual. Um, so sh- should I go worst to best or best to worst? <laughs> Dealer's choice. All right. So the worst thing I saw was the new Jacques Odiard, Paris, Paris 13th District, uh, which is like just such a boring dog shit movie. <laughs> I was like, I feel like that was basically the word out of can with like a few people who were like, it's good. Like it's got like, uh, a good like romance vibe um, and I watched it and it starts and I'm like yeah this is like pretty interesting uh, it's like about a girl at first who uh, has a roommate move in who's this guy who's like a teacher and as soon as he moves in because uh, she was looking for someone who was a female roommate and uh, he has like a feminine name I'm, I'm guessing or that's like what the, the, the thing is and he is like uh, can I like commit like and she's like sort of relents and then they like have chemistry and have sex and then it sort of like moves through time in a in, like a quick way where it's like they are getting an argument and they're like how long have you been here like three weeks and it's like oh this is like a second ago he <laughs> like first like had sex with this lady um, and they sort of like go through their relationship and then it splits not in the middle but like a little bit before the middle and Noemi Merlant comes in as, like, a new character who is someone who was, like, worked at her uncle by marriage's real estate agency for a while and then stopped that to go to school to be a lawyer. Um, and she's at school and is, like, older than all the students. And the her plot line is basically she uh, goes to a party uh, that's, like, a rave sort of. And she puts on a blonde wig and a necklace with a padlock on it and looks like a famous, uh, like, cam girl. <laughs> and mm-hmm. everyone thinks it's her and, like, makes off-color remarks and she has, like, a panic attack and then looks up the cam girl and becomes friends with her and is, like, paying for sessions and then they, like, develop a relationship. Uh, and it's, like, weirdly just a gross movie, I think. Like, there's a lot of, like, weird sort of relationship to sexuality and, like, especially the sort of uh sex worker aspect of it um 
Uh, it was co-written by a few people I know. Uh, Siam is one of them. Yeah. Um, Odiard. Um, but it's just I mean, there's a the the sort of one of the central performances, uh, Lucy Zhang. It's her first film, and she's like uh really good. I think like sort of the one bright spot of this movie. Um, yeah, Jacques Odiard, Nicholas uh, Lavecchi, Liam Misus, and Celine Chiamet. It's based on short stories mm-hmm. um, by Adrian Tomin. Um, and, like, people praise the cinematography, and it's this, like, very, like, crisp digital black and white, and it looks good for a lot of it, um, but it sort of isn't enough to carry it for me. And, like, the score is garbage, I think. it. I, on Letterboxd, I called it, like, iPhone unba- unboxing core. Because it is just, like, weird, like, vlog music of, like, very generic digital sort of noise. And it, like, doesn't really fit with the movie. And I, like, by the end, I was, like, very annoyed and ready for it to be over. Um, But then the next best movie, which is, like, a good movie, is uh, what Jesse has talked about already. uh, Petite Maman, Mm -hmm. the new Siyama. And as, like, sort of a Siyama skeptic where I'm, like soft positive on portrait and then after watching Paris 13th District I was like am I gonna hate this fucking movie and it's good it's like I think pretty uh inconsistent weirdly for how short it is like I felt like there were a few lulls and I'm like this is crazy that this movie is like has these dips um but then also on the flip side of that there are like a lot of great moments I think also here the lead performances are great specifically the main lead performance of the daughter because it's two twins yeah. uh playing two young girls i guess i don't know how much of the sort of conceit of the movie is known by people I mean, who haven't we seen spoiled it. it all on the sure <laughs> the but um, yeah yeah the um but i think that that performance is like excellent and there are like um some really smart editing choices in the movie that like took my breath away and uh it's a great like autumnal vibe i would say a lot of leaves a lot of sweaters um and it's like 70 minutes like it uh, it it feels longer but it is short like unequivocally so like if you haven't seen it and you want to like i would recommend it yeah Um, because certainly people like it more than me yeah yeah I'm seeing it at uh, AFI because it's uh, screening digitally at, at AFI Fest. So I, I, I purchased yeah. access to that and uh, sure. hit the road. So I'll be checking both those out in early November. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next movie, this is not the order that I watched. I just want to say that I've also seen Petit Moment and it's good. Don't ask me how. Continue, Colin. <laughs> um, it is, uh, I watched Fabian Going to the Dogs, the new Dominic Graff movie. Uh, and it is... Something I think that is really fascinating, and I was like, this movie certainly has stuff that I like am uh, so drawn to. It's like uh, very propulsive. It like almost feels like I'm not good at saying the director's name, the person who directed uh, like Possession and On the Silver Globe, like Zulowski, Zulowski, Zulowski. It feels like that sort of energy because it's like constantly moving uh it's like multiple different like um like film stocks and like there's like super eight stuff there's like digital stuff um and it is like constantly moving constantly like spinning around the characters 
Um, and it's three hours long. And, like, you – it propels you in such a way that is, like, undeniable. And the opening shot of the movie is this, like, sort of walking through the, uh, like – I, I don't know where in Germany they are, but it's like they're walking through this German subway system, like modern day, and they go upstairs. And as they go upstairs, the movie is taking place in like Weimar Germany, like uh, where and like in the past, and you have the characters dressed in clothing. And there was sort of way that they, it's a smart way that they like get around having locations. Like there are uh, great sort of set dressings and production design to make it feel of the time. But they also will, like, if a character's, like, crossing the street, there's, like, this scene where this character's crossing the street, they'll, like, intercut archival footage of Germany at the time to, like, provide the air without having to, like, show exteriors or whatever. And it's, like, really smart that way. Um, and it's got, like, this very big emotional ending. But I... It's, like, a very <laughs> smart movie, I think. It's very novelistic. It's based on this famous German novel, um... That is, like, I think it's, like, a very short novel, so I feel like they may have just crammed it all in here. Um, but it, um, it like, a, a lot of it, I feel like, goes over my head. Because it's just, like, uh, the two movies that, like, people talk about it in concert with are Transit, which we've talked about, and Martin Eden, which we've talked a, l a little bit about. And Martin Eden, like, the way that that is so literary uh is very much the same here and also the same way that you know Marcel will use um archival footage and like different sort of filmic qualities in that regard uh it's like hard not to think about it but mm -hmm. I feel like the lead in Martin Eden is obviously like a much more charismatic performer than the lead in Fabian going to the dogs which is like not to discredit him because there are moments where he it, like really shines but it's like this movie that is him and his friend basically and they he meets a girl and he like falls in love instantly with the girl and she starts acting and like is acting in movies and he is like an ad writer who like quit school um and loses his job and he's just like broke and she's going up as like he's going down and it's this sort of interesting dichotomy between like the two of them as the friend is like going deeper into like socialism and sort of struggling with that and struggling with like his own hedonism in a way as well um but it like i said this on letterbox there's a scene where these two characters are like fighting and it's like they are like going down this hallway in this school and they're fighting and as they're going down, the camera stops on this painting of this man in the hallway. And it's, like, some old German dude who, like, is almost assuredly, like, it's a very, like, smart reference if you get it or whatever. And I'm just like, well, I don't understand, the, like, the significance of this other than I should recognize it as something significant. And that sort of distance is, like, felt for me uh, throughout the entire time. But there's people who love this, obviously. Like, it's getting raves. Um, I feel like for... Uh, when it played uh, Berlin, Jordan Cronk, I think, wrote about it. Um, I know uh, you had uh, CJ Prince on. Yeah. He also is a big fan of it. Um, so if you are able to see it, I would recommend it. And it's something that I would like to watch again. Um, but Jesse, it is, like, incredibly dense. Jesse, what do you know about Dominic Graff? Because I'm looking at his Wikipedia and it's yeah, like he's like 40 movies. Well, yeah. So he, he does, like, a, a lot guy. of TV work in Germany. Uh, and like t m like TV movies or I think even series and like his last like 
movie to get released in the United States was in like 2013 or 14 and is a uh period piece uh called Beloved Sisters. But yeah. He did a um, he did a TV movie like Triptych with right. Kristen Petzold and one other director. Yeah. Um, and they all sort of took the same story and did their own take on it, yeah. um, which I've heard is also great. Um, and I, oh, I I've heard that their two it. pieces are great. Well, yeah, sure. I the third, uh, who I don't know the director, I've heard is like fine. Um, yeah. And then the only other two things I watched were I rewatched uh, Worst Person in the World twice, <laughs> and I feel like that movie is just incredible. It's like a very easy movie to watch for sure, um, but it is I think like. It's just so incredible. Like, I could really just watch it forever. And then similarly, I rewatched uh, Sagua Diaries, which I think, like, is far and away the contender now for, like, best of the decade. <laughs> and oh. is... Uh, wow. I you got a lot of decade left to go, movie. but Cullen's calling it. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be tough to beat, I think. It's, like, such a magical movie. Um I feel like Kim Stim is going to put it out next year. Yeah, I think early uh, like next maybe year. Maybe early. So I feel like people will get to see it. And it's one that I'm just like, I would love everyone I know to see this movie so I can just like go. And that part when they do that, isn't that so cool? <laughs> and they'll be able to go like, yeah or no. But now it's like, I can only do that to like two or three people. <laughs> um, if you see like the Tsugua Diaries, just, let Cullen know immediately. Please, yes, <laughs> talk to me if you've seen Tsugua Diaries. It's like, I think we talked about this when we talked about it on our New York dispatch, but there was like a few sort of movies made during COVID that we had seen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, it sort of captures that like aimless, like I'm just in my house. Like, what do I do? But almost in a positive way. <laughs> and it's like a, such a great vibes movie uh, that it's like, I, 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 I just like can't stop thinking mm-hmm. about that movie and like it I, I, I has the needle drop where they play the the Frankie Valley the Four Seasons song and it's like maybe that's the best song of all time who am I to say oh. uh, it's certainly the best needle drop in a movie maybe oh alright uh, I will say uh, I don't want to talk uh, we don't need to talk too much about this but it's a little bit of breaking news uh, AFI has done some early announcements for their EU showcase that will happen in Silver Spring. So if you're in the DC area, you can see the Sugua Diaries sometime in December. And I might take another look at it then. Only yeah, other, there's a, a few interesting things. The only other one that I want to shout out is a movie called The Man with Hair Ears, just because I want to send the uh well, I sent a link to the uh the poster. Yeah, I mean, look. <laughs> okay. It's a man and he's got hair ears. Like oh, it's that kind donkey? of hair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It looks a little like Harvey Keitel. Right. This is like, this the, this poster gives me the vibes of like the hundred year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared, or like absolutely uh, uh, a man called Uva, or like one of those yeah. like weird foreign movies that's going to get a na- makeup yes. nomination at the Oscars one day. Uh-huh. Both of which are classic AFI EU showcase movies. Sure, <laughs> legends of the festival. <laughs> the people went wild for a man called Uva. <laughs> yeah. 
That oh, might not be true. The Man Called oh, Uva uh, might have come out in September, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, and we're all still waiting for that Tom Hanks remake. There's a Will Ferrell uh, remake, I thought. Or was it Tom I Hanks? think Will Ferrell's Tom the 100-year-old man. 100-year-old man, okay. Yeah. Slapped out the window. All right. Um, cool. Yeah, that's all I saw at Chicago. You yeah. Know, we don't really get super into local festivals, but, like, if you look at your lo- local festival, um, there's a chance I'll have a Virgil lineup. I know Montclair has a pretty robust virtual lineup mm. right now. Um, if you're in that area, um, yeah. But yeah, just keep an eye out and uh, you know, go in person to your local one if you go can. in person. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they're following all the protocols. You know. Yeah, I've go to your local film festival. festival. Yeah, go to your local film festival in Florida. <laughs> I'll bet they're following yeah. all the protocol. Or <laughs> right. London. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know we met, I mentioned briefly earlier, like, there are a few things available for across the U.S. from AFI. So if you're, yeah. like, if you don't have a local festival or, like, your local festivals are very, like, specialized, like mine are, um, then, yeah, you, if you're if you're looking for a more general one, there is a few things available from AFI that you can check out. And those are, like, mm-hmm. 10 bucks for a streaming streaming access i should say also i don't know the exact states but i feel like missouri indiana illinois like there's a few sort of just that sort of area of midwestern states all have access to uh chicago so maybe there's something else like that depending on the size of the festival i know chicago is a bit of a bigger one yeah comparatively um and if, yeah and if you're going tell them can i kick it that yeah yeah, right. Uh-huh. If you say "Can and I get it sent me?" Cullen wants me to see Segura Diaries. You will get in for the regular price, right? Um, and you can get a Chicago yeah. dog. You can go see the Bean. You can hit up all. The I was Chicago wondering if we were going to get to all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's let's talk Todd Haynes, right? Yeah, Is it that time so, already. I think so. We're talking just gonna... Todd. You know, we talked about uh, about Underground already a little bit, but we're going to talk a little more about it to go very quickly through just, like, what some context for Haynes' festival path is. He's thought of definitely as, like, an early Sundance guy, and there's Poison and Safe did both play Sundance, but also Poison played Forum at Berlin, and Safe played Directors Fortnite. So he there ha- he's always been kind of like an international director, uh, and uh, yeah. Then you've got like Velvet Goldmine is Cannes competition, Far from Heaven. I'm not there. Venice competition. Even Mildred Pierce plays out of competition at Venice. Uh, Carol and Wonderstruck are back in Cannes competition. Then you got Dark Waters, which doesn't play a festival for because they're rushing it out for some reason though i guess it could have played afi so it could qualify for the can i kick it awards to win that's right uh-huh that's what they were going for uh and then velvet underground premieres out of competition at the Cannes film festival earlier this year um one thing that i just want to start out with that's interesting is that uh velvet underground uh, is his first writing credit since Mildred Pierce, uh, which he actually, I didn't realize that he co-wrote that with uh, Jonathan Raymond, who is Kelly Reichert's regular uh, collaborator, though that makes sense because uh, Haynes and Reichert are friends. Sure. Um, I gotta check out but, Mildred Pierce. 
Yeah, yeah, and that he, seemed pretty major. Yeah, I've heard it's. I, I need to take a look at that too. Uh, yeah, and like he doesn't have writing credits on either of the movies that are supposed to be upcoming for him either. Especially, uh, May December is written by like two casting directors. This is the one with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, and then Fever is written, I think, by like a playwright is the most recent writing credit on that uh you don't have to sound so surprised playwrights can write no no, no. Movies, i'm just like it's written by a playwright who like only has one other film credit it's written by pulled out a gun it's written by doug Wright. gonna do it if you know who that the great is. doug Wright. i am my own wife of course yeah who also has written a movie that's been announced for uh jamie fox and tommy lee jones oh Wow, great. Uh, based on a true story about a bankrupt funeral owner, or owner who decides mm -hmm. to sue a rival businessman over a handshake deal gone wrong. Wow. So yeah, I guess Doug Wright is getting into the film business after having written the screenplay for the adaptation of his play Quills uh, 21 years ago. Wow. I don't know if that's that interesting, but uh, Velvet Underground. <laughs> what what does writing a documentary constitute? Um, I imagine this. It's like I've always interviews. wondered about that. Right. I mean, like, yeah, like writing questions for the interview. I mean, he kind of said that. I he kind of said that, like, the editing process in the in a documentary is sort of like the yeah. writing process so you're shaping right. the narrative yeah. but sometimes you do um, see docs that like have writers credited who are not directors or editors who are like just credited right. as the writer of the doc yeah um, i feel like i'm like know. yeah i don't know i'm sure there's like some sort of like well this is like the historical outline you need to follow like that sort of thing yeah like, maybe there's like right. some sort of sense of giving the shape of like well, this is, like, what the outline is for, like, what yeah, we need to get yeah. information about, like, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, he must yeah. have put together, like, these are the people that I really want to interview. This is roughly what I want to cover. I, yeah, I don't know. It is certainly interesting to think about. Certainly a feat of editing as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, this is, the, like, so... I don't know. I like. I knew nothing about the Velvet Underground, really. Like, I really, knew... Andy. Listen, <laughs> uh, I knew the name Lou Reed vaguely <laughs> from The Simpsons. <laughs> sure, right. Um, from, from this, from podcast. the Metallica album. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, our theme song used to be Lou Reed. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh. And yeah, this is. I mean. I have listened, I've watched the pod, I have watched the movie, and I listened to an, another podcast do a segment about the movie. And, like, the one thing they noted is that, like, well, yeah. One of it, our rivals? Uh, sure. The, our, our rivals at the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> on site. <laughs> Data Stevens, we're coming for you. Um, <laughs> um, we get shooters <laughs> in every block. <laughs> Um, uh, and one thing they noted that I thought was interesting was, like, yeah, there's not, like, a lot of footage of the Velvet Underground like playing. Like, there's, like, right. extremely, like, and so, like, you don't get the thing that you get in a lot of, like, 
music docs music of them docs. like doing like Ed Sullivan or right. uh, yeah. Letterman, depending <laughs> on what era it is, right? Andy once like uh, it was CBGB, we were all there, <laughs> and like uh, some footage recreated. Yeah, I, is right. that what I I'm mean, asking? It is. For? It's just like there is a thing that uh warhol shot and that's like right so that's the thing that what they do have is an extremely large amount of experimental film footage shot by andy warhol yes none of which has like sound right so they just have a bunch of images they can use really i feel like um and which is like a perfect thing for Todd Haynes, of course, who like has like such yeah. like an artist's background and like knows so much about that that sort of thing. Like that like it really is able to create like an immersive visual sort of like sense of like that's that mostly is communicating vibe more than like it is communicating like anything to do with like story or like the arc of the band or like facts about the band. Right. It's like mostly communicating uh, like, yeah, just like what's sort of what the feel of this was. And I think like, that's like a really interesting thing about the documentary. Yeah. And it's like, also, I mean, you get a lot of just like the relationship between Reed and Kale and like starting with how each of them got their way into music and then how they met and then how they added the other members to the band. And I think that it is, you get more into like the context of like what it was like to see them when you have like Jonathan Richmond come in and then like what it was like to hang out with him with Mary Warvanov um, or Warvanov. Um, yeah. And it's just, I think it's like really uh, like, I'm not as hot on it as Amelia or Jesse were, mm-hmm. Which I think the theater experience, especially like the New York Film Festival theater experience, right. with like half the people that are in the movie probably there. Yeah, it was um, just Talbin, or I don't even know if Talbin was there. I mean, but like they could have been in the audience. Is like the feeling that you get from that. Like, Maybe. yeah, because they do. I they think like they shout, shout out, out early on, right? They're like, yeah, the New York yeah. Film Festival was starting around this time. Yes, like yeah, and it's like obviously two very, you know, they had Kale do the music for the sort of yeah the NIF trailer. Um, but you get that sort of like the energy that I imagine was in the room at the premiere is like probably like palpable and like at home watching it on like my TV, it's like cool. And I like, it's very watchable, I think because the visuals are so interesting and like the editing is so like transfixing in a way, like you have... Uh, it, it sort of just like zoomed by for me where I'm like they're talking about them breaking up and I was like wait a minute like didn't I just start this movie <laughs> but it is like it's interesting to just get like to see how like I uh, the, the, it's, it's just interesting to see like all the, the faces that are like around and they like they get into this sort of like you know when they when they're playing after hours for the first time and marine's like i i'm only gonna play it if they like demanded of me and everyone did because everyone loved that song and it's like that's a very cool moment and then what's really funny is like warnov and um marine talking about how much they hate hippies which yes. i like wasn't even expecting but they're right like, it, peace and love go get yeah, a job well it comes like, out of nowhere but also like 
Mo Tucker is like, fuck Frank Zappa and those hippies. And it's like, <laughs> Frank Zappa hated hippies, too. Yeah. I mean, she's got a lot of opinions, right? Yeah, <laughs> she ha- she does. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's just funny for, like, for these people, like, it's, you sort of, I mean, maybe it's just me, but, like, in my mind, like, you associate all these big cultural things that are happening like in an era as just like that era and it's like funny to think about like yeah like this like very sort of low like very like proto indie band uh like just hates the hippies because they're like everywhere and they're like you're not gonna change any lives by sticking a flower in a gun and it's like really it's just really funny to have that perspective and then you also have like jonathan richmond uh as the sort of like fanboy of the group, yeah. like who's like, and I saw them and it was crazy. And he's got his guitar. And he's like, they play the song and I'm losing my mind. Right. And Which like, like maybe from him. I can't remember if me or Amelia said this, but like Eugene Hernandez, when he was introducing the movie was like, John Cale really wanted to be here. He really wanted to do a concert. that was going to be him and Mo Tucker and Jonathan Richmond, but it's not happening because of COVID. And it's like, all right cool yeah thanks yeah i was gonna give everyone a bunch of money <laughs> and then they said that wasn't cool so i now was we won't. going to give our employees a fair contract yeah. but then covid happened we were gonna meet the demands of our union but but uh, i mean yeah it's like very uh there's like moments that are just like so exciting as like you know you're ramping up and like this is like how they met nico or whatever it's like even someone who's like, you know, I'm probably in between the sort of Jesse and Andy on the Velvet Underground knowledge spectrum where I'm like, yeah, I've heard like a few of their albums. I like a lot of their songs. Um, the uh, I, I obviously like didn't know like all the relationships that were part of it. Like the Jonas Mikas thing is really interesting also where he was just around filming them and he's someone that I sort of like only know by name in the doc that he shot of Scorsese making the departed, which is like an American film director at work or whatever. Um, but I mean, yeah. And he, you know, the film's like dedicated to him. Yeah. Um, and they have like a little bit of footage of him before. Cause I guess they were working on it for a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, Todd Haynes said that like Jonas Nikas was the first person who he interviewed. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, like like everyone like uh, everyone had said, it's like just very uh, interesting and engaging. I think, and like if you have the you know way to watch it on Apple TV Plus or in a theater, especially, I would probably recommend uh, certainly do it. Yeah, yeah, it's just like hearing Velvet Underground songs on a good sound system. Highly yeah. recommended. Oh my god, I forget what song it is, like towards the middle or end or whatever. But it's like so piercing it was one of the craziest things i've ever heard in the theater they do yeah there's that crazy scene i think my ears are gonna bleed but like in a good way i mean that would have been nuts i didn't even think about the music part of it weirdly yeah yeah Yeah. but uh what do you think of the velvet underground's music andy i mean i can't say any of it particularly stood out to me watching the documentary like it seemed a little droney I guess. Like, yeah, that's the yeah. point. That's kind of their like thing. But like, why? I don't. Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> why? I do believe there is a section in the documentary going into John Cale's background where they yeah. explain very much why it's he like, likes this drone is, music. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I do have a fun story that I got from uh, 
my advisor at Goddard College, Otto Muller, who went to uh, University of Buffalo, where Tony Conrad, who is mentioned in the movie, went. He was like roommates with John Cale, and he was both kind of involved with that drone music and later did a lot of experimental film. Uh, so like... Uh, apparently he was narcoleptic so Otto was like I don't imagine that he would have ever been awake through the entirety of one of his performances because he never was awake through the entirety of his students work uh, which is funny yeah I mean I wouldn't say like I don't think the documentary is really trying to do that like to be like hey you should check out the velvet underground and their music like that's not really yeah, like it's what like, they're going right for. so i really. don't think like that it didn't accomplish that isn't like some great oh mark yeah for the, that's not some yeah. great mark against i was it. just curious what you made of them sure i mean yeah it seems like yeah this seems like something that like i guess was important at one time and like we've <laughs> moved beyond it probably like as long yeah, as we've moved beyond yeah it, we've right? moved beyond <laughs> it which is to say it has influenced everything that has come since it very clearly um i do want to ask i feel like i might be wrong you're the only one who's seen sparks brothers andy that's probably true yep that is sort of what you're talking about where they like literally just go like album by album right they're like about, this like, is what this band's about are. and this is like what their sort of arc has been is like what that is yeah yeah i'm like and that's like all sort of archival and talking head right i think i mean yeah yes they have the like band like the band is interviewed like the sparks brothers are well yeah yeah like involved right. and you see like yeah. he's shot some stuff i think around like the set of a net and stuff like some contemporaneous sure. stuff but uh yeah but, and yeah. i think and then there's like the concert doc that they that they made also yeah. i mean that's like a lot like the what the uh jim jarmish iggy pop docu or stooges iggy pop documentary is too is a lot more like this is just this band and their stuff and them their arc and like i don't and that's actually it's where the two editors of velvet underground met because it's Todd Haynes' regular editor and then, like, a guy who's done more work on documentaries. Uh, yeah. So he was like, Todd, you should get this guy in. Uh, but, yeah, like, that... And, yeah, like, I think that just is not as interesting as what this is. I mean, I like yeah, the Stooges, and I'll listen to some Stooges for a while, but this is much cooler. Just like all of our listeners. <laughs> our Stooges? This is... No, they'll listen to some Stooges. Oh, we're sure. Stooges. Yeah, we're the um, four Stooges. Yeah. <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. Please stop. I was thinking of, like, other, like, music docs, at the, which is, like, why I sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. was wondering about Sparks. Because, like, I feel like yeah. I don't really have a ton of experience watching music docs. Me neither. The one that I, I see. think about often is, like, Shut Up and Play the Hits, which is just, like half concert half single interview with james murphy and chuck klosterman <laughs> and that is like that movie is like fine but the there's just on like the blu-ray or whatever yeah. there's just the three hour right concert which talk, i've listened uh, to or, a lot but not seen even though i own i mean watching it is great like, yeah I, sure. re I would 100 percent recommend watching it just because it's like an exceptionally well shot and edited concert um, yeah but this feels much more substantial as a documentary, like even in its visuals alone. Like you have the sort of 
old footage that's been restored and it looks crazy and they have these sort of recordings of Reed and Kale and like everyone talking about each other. Yeah, I mean they show Haynes shows like the entirety of Reed and Kale's screen tests or one of them, one of each of them and like parts of screen tests for other people who are in the movie. You also, you may have talked about this, um, the sort of uh, contrast of like how interesting the split screen is here and both of you that same day saw Vortex (laughs) which is like have only heard that the split screen there is just um, purposeless. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, this is very good. It uses the split screen very well. I I did find it very funny. I, I think I mentioned this when I first talked about it, that, like, the way it starts, is it was, like, the screen test of uh, Lou Reed and then Lou, and then the screen test of John Cale and then John, and then the third yeah. person it mentions is New York City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. But yeah, I mean, another thing that helped in the theater was just like, obviously, this is, an, a movie, this is a movie that uses a lot of archival footage. But even outside of that, it's very black and white. So just like the yeah. the absolute stark darkness that yeah, it like sits you in is very striking, and it like and it holds your attention. I just like really appreciate it as a doc that like very much wants to just give you context it just sort of wants to sit you there and be like this is what velvet underground was like at the time because it's like the other type of documentary that is just like this is their influence this is what they did this is like with their career it's like extreme would be extremely unserving to the velvet underground because like their entire legacy and what most people know about the velvet underground is that they're extremely influential so it's like like yeah. restating those points is, is just like very favorite unne- band's favorite band yeah, yeah it's like very unnecessary like everybody knows the consequences of the velvet right. underground of just like like this sort of like weird redefinition of like america cool and just right. like the entire american and the and the rock music that bore out yeah of, yeah. their influence so just like and being like this is what it was like at the time and just like the how weirdly small they sort of were and just mm-hmm. like but like how influential and how drony and just like why this would captivate you so much at the time i think is like extremely interesting i think the doc captures it extremely well which is why i sort of love it though i truly don't think i've ever seen another music documentary now that i'm thinking of it I think I've, I've seen, okay. I think I've only seen the documentary now parody of the Eagles doc. You haven't seen um, Stop Making Sense. I, mean, <laughs> I, I guess I was defining like I guess it's a concert, yeah, con- doc, not a yeah, music concert doc. doc, not a, a documentary about a band or like a musician or something like that. Yeah, um, I don't know if I've seen any either. What are like the good uh, the Eagles one people do love, but that's another that that one's like four hours or whatever i've heard yeah, people like talk the... about sy- sympathy for the devil recently right yeah I right. Saw, um... oh yeah that's great i mean sympathy for the devil is like almost it's closer to like the concert doc thing and that it is just at least the music part is just them playing sympathy for the devil a bunch of times trying to figure out what it's gonna sound like there's no like context uh i've seen uh it might get loud which is like Oh, I saw just that. About these, these like it's Jack White, The Edge, and Jimmy Page or whatever, yeah. or Robert Plant, whichever it's Jimmy one. Page. Um, uh, and it's just like them, like where they were and like how they got to <laughs> their like status as guitar players, which is like 
fine. Yeah. Yeah. I saw um, Ron Howard's Pavarotti doc, of course. Sure. Is, How is uh, that? Also... You love a Ron Howard doc. <laughs> I mean, it's fi- it was fine, I think. Yeah. I mean, look. He's, uh, you know, he does the work. He puts it in. He, I guess he's... Beatles get back. Yeah, he structures it's it like an out. opera, I guess. Right. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, like, Scorsese's done the... He has, like, the George Harrison doc. He's got Shine a Light. Right. There's Rolling Thunder Review. Did he do another well, Bob Dylan thing before that, I think? Maybe. And those, some of those are also, like, in the four-hour movie realm. Because, like, even concert docs, I haven't seen anything past the de- stop making sense and the demi timberlake one those are the two yeah ones. i mean i'm sure like i haven't i haven't even I haven't seen like seen... last waltz or the woodstock doc or whatever sure yeah yeah i mean yeah. last waltz um, is like similarly to uh how you're describing shut up and play the hits which is like take your own advice and cut this uh interview footage yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. But I there, mean, there's I, not I, yeah. as much of it in Last World. There's like all the U2 concert movies, like Rattle and Hum or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I can certainly go on about um, theater docs, uh, but I but sure. I will will spare my my co-hosts. My, yeah, entirely I, I, different thing, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> there's that Beatles doc that's coming out this year. Right, the Jackson. That's, that is. But that's all archival footage, right? That well, yeah, that's like just footage that was shot and then restored. Yeah. So it's like a documentary about making Let It Be and like. The concert, um, which I mean, looks incredible. Uh, but I, I, but like, I guess it, it's like, that movie. did they get interviewed during that, or is it just, was that just no, like, it's uh, like uh, a fully, uh, they shot? No, they but, shot a documentary. No, at the but time. I, I guess like at the time, did they get interviewed, or was it just like a camera was there while they were doing it? Uh, I don't know. If there, there might be interview, but it's like they just filmed every like sort of conversation about like creating it and like doing it, and then it's just been in a vault for <laughs> whatever. Yeah. However many years, and then they he did the same thing that he did with that you know World War One footage and just restored it. Um, Is it in black and white? And he had to colorize it. I don't know if it was in black and white. The color does look interesting, so maybe he had to colorize it. Mm. But um, maybe I like did see. I, yeah, I, I saw They Shall Not Grow Old, sure. which was a you know an interesting experience seeing that. Certainly, sure. Yeah, but yeah. See Velvet Underground. Yeah, yeah, watch Velvet Underground. If you can see it in a theater, I would recommend it, obviously. Yeah. If you can't, I think it's probably still worth a watch on Apple TV+. Sure, Plus. yeah. I had a fine time watching it on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah. I can't say it convinced me that there's ever been a good band, but it's still a fine movie on its own. <laughs> Jesus, man. What about the um, friggin' band's visit or whatever? That's a band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, what about like whatever <laughs> X marching band you probably love? I really don't like the marching band sound. Actually, if we're being, wow, too brass heavy. Needs some, needs some more. Wow, uh, wow, fucking. And, I did not expect Andy to fucking dead John Philip Sousa or whatever. <laughs> Andy mutes all the music during 1776 or whatever. Um, but yeah. Should we wrap up? We should wrap up. This is a short one. A little shorty. Yeah, we're giving folks a little short treat this week. We're back with Spooky Month next week. I know. It's the spooktacular, so be ready for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure. Are we? Yeah, we're we're re-embracing that branding. Why don't we tell people what it is so they can take a look at some of the movies? Right. We're doing James Wan, so we're going to talk Saw, Insidious, and The Conjuring. I have to watch. They've all played festivals of varying degrees. 
Um, yep. And there has three sort of big horror franchises that he started. So I feel like it's a good way to get sort of familiar with Juan as a horror director. I've only seen Aquaman and Malignant. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I have personally have no idea what Insidious is about. Like zero. Yeah, clue. I guess I don't either. It's Insidious un- is the bad one. Color, color. Is it? You've also seen Furious 7. I've seen Furious 7. That's right. Mm. Okay. I've only seen Aquaman and Furious 7, but I like I'm, both of those movies. So I've seen I mean, uh, zero of his movies. Of I'm absolutely fucking dreading watching Saw. Yeah. But Saw's, Saw's maybe me good. and Andy do a Saw group watch. I mean, look, yeah. Maybe we'll do it on Twitter Spaces. We'll watch Saw. Okay. <laughs> we don't have Twitter Spaces. We did a Twitter Space today that we were recording. Wow. All right. We'll do a Twitter Spaces where we watch Saw. Sure. Can I you do them for that long? Twitter. I don't know. Um... <laughs> you can do it for that long. All right. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter, you can follow us there at Can I Kick It to find our Twitter Spaces. Uh, or on Letterboxd at C-I-K-I-Pod. You can follow uh, me on either of those platforms at J-C-P Glick Weber. Weber has two Bs. I have to plug one of the funniest, ten funniest people. It truly feels like you've been doing this since, I mean, like, there's been a lot May. of missed weeks, I feel. There's been a lot of missed weeks. <laughs> I truly don't know how many I've named. Not a clue. Um, let's say if a fan wants to look into that for Jesse, and I also, yeah. I also yeah, believe if no I, one tells me, I will be forced to keep going. Je- Jesse, uh, do you remember the last person you said? Yes, I do. I believe it was uh, Jonathan Franzen, right? That's right, and that's yeah. looked great since I said that. He is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's just yeah. been out there being funny. <laughs> well, he's been out there being uh, not a dinkus, which is unusual for him. Sure. Uh, yeah, this week. <laughs> Cullen's been doing a crossed fingers bit for like two minutes. Name the person, Jesse. <laughs> it's, it's Lars von Trier. <laughs> yeah. Great. Andy? <laughs> Uh, yeah, my name's Andy. You can find me online at Andy T. Germ, uh, on, on your Twitters and letterboxes and, and whatevers. Um, uh, for my plug, I know I plugged it before. The finale of Only Murders in the Building is so good. Steve Martin does some tremendous physical comedy in it. If he doesn't end up on Jesse's list, I'll have some words for her. Um, we specifically talked about Steve Martin and how he won't be on the list. <laughs> Not in right. the first episode where we discussed this. Yeah. I mean, have it's you checked him out in Only Murders in the Building? It's so funny. Uh, no. He's so funny. He's list of favorite painters. <laughs> he, do- I, he does, like, tremendous physical. Anyway. Uh, favorite all- novelists. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not Jonathan Brandon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, board standing up's very good. Um, uh, although that's a memoir, not a novel. Anyway. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to plug. If you like the podcast, uh, uh, give us some money. Uh, yeah. Jesse, are you making an announcement about that or no? Are you hold yes. off on that announcement. Uh, okay. If we get $100 within the space of a month, it can be any month-long period. Uh, well, Andy... no. It's one month-long period, so the clock starts when we get the first donation. Right. 
oh, it, it's not like it it's can't a one be time like, window. It's a one time window. So it starts next time we get a donation. OK, yes. if we make a hundred dollars in that following month, Andy will release a full length recording of him. T.S. It's. This is very appropriate that this is where Jesse's uh, audio uh, audio cuts, cuts out, out uh -oh. while she was uh -oh. say what it was again. T. S. Eliot's The Wasteland. There we go. Great. I definitely know what I'm getting myself into by agreeing to do so that. So say where they can do that, Andy. On our coffee, ko-fi.com slash can I C A N N E S I. Any donation always appreciated, any amount. Um uh, and if you donate at least five dollars, Amelia will watch a movie and review it on Letterboxd. Yeah, and if That's you donate a thousand dollars between now and the end of the year, I'll go to Berlin. <laughs> and like, we'll sure. say that our Berlin co coverage was sponsored by you. If you want that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if yeah. you, we... if a single person donates a thousand dollars, you will be the sponsor, or a company. It can be a company. Then Within you will reason, be the sponsor of our Berlin. We get a thousand dollars. It is not going all to you. We've yeah, that's fine. I just need like a little boost. Sure. But if you send a thousand dollars to me, then it'll go to me. Yeah. All right, Cullen. Yeah, I'm clattering everything. C L A T C H L E Y, and I'm plugging hot chocolate. Ooh. Emilio. What do you think of marshmallows? I like a marshmallow. I like mini marshmallows. Uh, no whipped cream, not necessary. Oh. I like uh, they in Petite Maman. They talk about chocolate mountains or whatever. She like adds extra cocoa, mm -hmm. um, and I like that as well. Great. What if it's like love a hot fresh hand whipped cream? It's just not necessary. All right, it cools it down. <laughs> I it does, yeah, but I don't need that. Um, like a fan of burnt tugs. <laughs> I can. Sip a drink. <laughs> I am an adult. <laughs> Just let me drink my hot cocoa in peace <laughs> with my marshmallows. <laughs> Amelia. You can follow me on Twitter at I'm Left Alone, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at I Left Alone. This week I'm going to plug the first chapter of David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. Wow. Have I, have I enjoyed it that much? Not really. It's just been pretty good. But I'm only plugging this to say that for the next couple of weeks, I will be plugging the chapters of Cloud Atlas as a way to force myself to, to motivate to continue reading Cloud Atlas. So I finish reading a book. Um, I hope it works. How do we land on Cloud Atlas as the book? It was one that he had, I think. <laughs> I own four books, and Cloud Atlas was one of them. Great. And I was mm -hmm. like, this, I think it was the only one with chapters. So I was like, this seems like sure. what I could read. <laughs> <laughs> the only one with chapters? Was the other one like the cat in the hat? Or like... <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't know if the other ones had chapters, but it, it was like, this seems like the only one that I could read and have like natural points to take a break. Because I also sure, own sure. Thomas Pynchon's Bleeding Edge. And if that, Thomas Pynchon is a person that if you just stop reading it and try to go back to it, you're just not gonna get there yeah sure and i was also like i'm not gonna try reading american pastoral again and uh, <laughs> i forget what the other book i <laughs> i own but i will continue reading cloud atlas because i will read a book 
Emilio's going to read a book by the end of the year. That Hell is yeah. my promise. Uh, our theme song is by True Related. You can find them at SoundCloud.com. That's True Related. It's a True Related on Spotify. And with that, I think that's all our plugs. Yep. So I can go ahead and release our audience. Goodbye. They were wild like the USA. A mystery band in a New York way. Rock and roll, but not like the rest. And to me, America at its best. How in the world were they making that sound? Velvet underground, a spooky tone on a fender bass. Played less notes and left more space. Stayed kind of still, looked kind of shy. Kind of far away, kind of dignified.